everyone is waiting for the end of the world or to get the vaccine or for the end of the pandemic for the world to reopen for the current administration to leave office or for justice to prevail for some relief for something more but maybe not exactly like before welcome to waiting for the world to end the advent podcast of the house of mercy this is episode number three we ask members of our community essayists songwriters poets to reflect on the theme waiting for the world to begin again this week we hear from christine burkus friesen and miles blue larson Svea, like most toddlers, loved stickers. When she was two, she got some Christmas mail from Grandma and Bonka, including some Christmas manger scene stickers. She was pretty excited. She wanted my help to peel the stickers so she could put them on paper. She said, it's so nice of Bonka to share his Jeefus stickers with me. Bonka really is a good sharer. Jeefus? I wondered. I asked her who Jeefus was. She pointed to the baby in the requisite straw-filled trough. Jeefus. She then pointed out the baby's father, Jofus, Mother Mary, and then, very excitedly, at the angel sticker and said, And there's the firefly. As I peeled off the stable and handed it to her, she said, And they live in the chicken poop. For a two-year-old, the verbal distinction between coop and poop can be tricky. As evidenced by the coop in our backyard, the terms are quite interchangeable. As I peeled stickers and she placed, I started to imagine the story playing out with these new characters. Sort of like the Leonardo DiCaprio version of Romeo and Juliet, the story retold for a modern audience with pants instead of robes. With a chicken coop, fireflies, and names like Jeefus and Jofus, the story took on an immediate deep Appalachia sort of quality for me. Mingled a little with childhood notions of the Beverly Hillbillies, the Waltons, and Old Yeller, and admittedly some deep residue from embedded caricatures of poverty, of which I am not proud. Mix in the Holy Family's ethnicity and circumstance, and our protagonists are living in poverty, Middle Eastern refugees, in America. Hmm. Enter Jophus, an obscenely pregnant Mary, forced to flee their home, Sauntering down a country road, not sure where they are headed. Their dilapidated car broke down a few miles back, so they are on foot. They enter a foreign land as newcomers seeking refuge and safety, and they make their way to a town that looks nice, but they're met as strangers. Mary can't go any further in her state. Nobody pays much attention to their requests for help. They are kind of an irritating peripheral sight to the moral, upstanding, self-respecting citizenry who are busy with the other moral, upstanding, self-respecting citizenry, wondering together what brings this unsavory element to their neighborhood. Property values really take a hit when the low-income teen parent crowd shows up. Refugees of questionable religion and ethnicity on top of that? No thanks. There's a hospital, but Mary can't afford to deliver there. I mean, she's an unemployed immigrant teenager having a baby out of wedlock. Clearly, they don't share our family values. Jofus just needs to get a job. Mary and Jofus find an unlocked chicken coop, and they sneak in to rest. 
The baby Jephus is born there, in the straw and manure. Jophus asks a terrified town person for some cash to buy food for Mary so she can nurse the baby. Scaring the townspeople, further evidence of an absent moral compass, we start to question if Jophus had a strong male role model in his own childhood. Word of the controversial presence of the family in the town travels. Why are they here anyway? What kind of people have their baby in a chicken coop? What's their agenda? Are more of them moving to to town? Dear God, we hope not. Curiosity builds, people come to see. Some come to protest, some come to threaten. A few come to defend. The shepherds aren't proclaiming any good news, as undocumented seasonal farm workers most have been detained or deported. The wise men are dispatched from Government Central to see what all the fuss is about, but their travels are halted due to emerging allegations of sexual misconduct that require some scaled-up PR efforts and urgent photo ops alongside their loving wives. The townspeople don't know what to do with the family, so they turn to their political leaders, who tell them, Criminals, these are your enemies. Build walls so more don't show up. They turn to their religious leaders, who tell them, Defend the faith. Resist the encroaching threat to moral rightness. God needs protecting. Circle the wagons. Entrepreneurs seize the opportunity to make a buck with the gawkers' tourism the family is generating. It's pretty easy to commercialize, really. The chicken coop easily converts to a symbol of quaint pastoral preciousness, rather than a place unfit for human habitation, where unwelcome strangers are forced to have a baby in animal feces. The images of the family are polished, the skin is whitened, hair lightened, clothes cleaned, smiles radiant. Rodents crawling in the coop are anthropomorphized into smiling, furry farm animals. Holy family paraphernalia sells like hotcakes. Keychains, water balls, bottles, phone cases, children's toys, Christmas cards. So much nicer for Christmas to be clean and cute. God could use a little marketing help. And off in the distance, the king, Herod, head of the empire. Egomaniacal, emotionally infantile obsessed with power and profit, jealous of distracted attentions, infuriated by challenges to his throne, frothing at the mouth to diminish and to dominate. A bad spray tan, duck lips, unforgivable hair, gunning for the powerless. The Herods will always be with us, it would seem. I noticed Svea had stickered all the angels around all of the baby Jephuses. When I asked why, she said, because babies don't like the dark. Neither do I. I like thinking about the fireflies clustering around the baby and his parents, lighting their night while hillbilly hell breaks loose all around them. Where the gawkers, upstanding citizens, politicians, and religious folk see a spectacle, a threat, an economic problem, a moral dilemma, God sets up home and claims its inhabitants as family. You'll find me here, God says, in the chicken coop. Look for the little tiny flashes of light in the deep darkness. As I wait for the world to begin again, I worry. I'm capable of, perhaps even proficient at becoming fixated on what could go wrong. All the ways in which I won't be okay. 
worries like what people think of me or whether I'm capital G good or capital B bad. Whether I'm contributing to global warming or systemic racism or whether I even have free will. Sometimes the only thing that helps me is some perspective. But not like a little bit of perspective. Like for me to let go of my worries, I need to zoom out a lot. Like to the furthest reaches of the universe, the beginning of time, infinity and beyond. Like for me to chill out, I have to sit and think about all the years of evolution that led from some single-celled organism to me. I have to think about the universe expanding indefinitely or perhaps even collapsing in on itself. I have to think about this immense vastness, my smallness, the short time I'm here and how little I am, how little this planet is, our solar system is. Are you feeling it? Are you feeling relaxed? No? That's okay, sometimes I have to look inward. I have to think about how I'm just a mass of particles. My body's made up of about 30 trillion cells. I looked it up. Wikipedia. And seven octillion atoms. I looked that up too, but this number is like too big to really mean anything to me. Maybe when Jeff Bezos' bank account gets that big, I'll understand a little better. Seven octillion. If that doesn't just shake you to your core, maybe you're either more grounded than I am or totally not spending enough time thinking about that fact. This being, the self that I believe I am, is made of so many things. The thing that I call miles, the experience that seems singular to me, is really octillions of particles. How can I be having this singular experience? How can a singular experience even exist among such a multitude? And yet here I am, I'm having an experience. I'm having sights and sounds, flavors, sensations. It seems like the Big Bang could have easily just made a universe of rocks and dust. It feels like my atoms could come together and make a human body that looks just like this but doesn't know that it's a human body. It feels like there's no reason I'm having an experience, and yet undeniably I'm having one. Something about that relaxes me, allows me to let go. It feels miraculous. We all know miracles are something the Bible spends some time on. This feels like the kind of miracle that Jesus might have dug. The kind of miracle that doesn't really care if you're a king or a drug addict, a prince or a plumber, the maintenance guy for my apartment building, or a Silicon Valley software developer. The experience is indiscriminate, though our particular qualities might be different with color blindness or total blindness, paralysis, deafness, anything modifying or limiting the senses. Despite all that, there is an experience being had by everyone. 
It's happening regardless of how much money or power you've accumulated. It's happening regardless of how desperately you might want it to end. It is happening regardless of what God you believe in. Experience is happening to all of us, regardless of political belief, education level, mental capacity, vocabulary. We're having an experience. That seems like the greatest gift, the, the most miraculous thing. Like, the end-all, be-all, holy fucking shit, blessed miracle. It's like the thing we can all share, the thing that we can all talk about. It's the holy unifying force that brings it all together, and it's happening right now, all around us. Experience. That perspective frees me from my anxieties. Or maybe just lets me step back and see the anxiety rather than just be totally consumed by it. I, I don't know. It helps. This perspective lets me return to the present moment. Let go of the mind taking me to the past or the future and I can see the experience that is in front of me. The one I'm currently having. I can greet the sensations available to me. Welcome the pain, the joy, the suffering, the sadness, the backache, the anxiety, the love. It's all experience. It's all blessed. It's all a miracle. We can all bathe in awareness. We can refresh our interest in our surroundings, our sensations, the miracles of experience, the impossibility of existence. You can notice the universal uniqueness of your experience. In that I find appreciation. I find beauty. I find God, Buddha, Brahman, Allah. I find that maybe all my anxieties are just perspective. Maybe it's all perspective. Maybe stuff like eating an entire frozen pizza in one sitting, drenched in ranch dressing, isn't good or bad. Maybe the stuff that's harder to let go of my judgment, like, like capitalism and Donald Trump, aren't good or bad. Maybe these things just are. Maybe it just is. Our thanks to Christine Burkus Friesen and Miles Blue Larson. We've been listening to The Mercy Machine, the house band of the House of Mercy. A happy Advent and a hopeful Christmas and peace and love and mercy to all of you and all of yours. <laughs>